And welcome back to another Barrel Proof Baseball podcast. Today, we are joined by Brian Nolt, the founder of Breckenridge Distillery. Brian, thanks so much for jumping on here with me today. Thanks, Tony. Glad to be on. So tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, kind of how you got started in you know, whiskey and how you turned your, your love for, I heard, scotch uh, into you know, owning a, a whiskey distillery. Uh, yeah, um, interesting story. Um, I am a practicing physician in Colorado 2003 and was just working my tail off. I'm a radiologist, so we work a lot of hours and don't get a lot of time off these days. Um, and so when that happens and you find yourself um, with little free time and a little disposable income, your hobbies get kind of weird. And so my weird hobby was whiskey. It was um, um, you know, what I could make time for at any, at any time. And, um, I love scotch. It was for me mostly about the scotch. So I was a collector and had this crazy whiskey club and, you know, the guys would get together maybe four or five times a year and it just kept getting more and more like super awesome, <laughs> you know? And so you guys would come and they would only bring bottles that you couldn't get store so it became a competition you know to go over to scotland and find rare bottlings and stuff like that there were times when i brought a thousand dollar bottles you know to this and um you know we, we would drink them i think it's pretty cool i heard that i was i was listening to a podcast that you were on i heard you mention a, a twelve thousand dollar bottle because yeah. i think it's gotten to that point where people want to collect all these bottles but they just sit there and collect dust like aren't they yeah. supposed to be drank it's never been a problem for me, man. I, I've just def, definitely burned through my uh, whiskey collection <laughs> these days. Um, yeah, so that was kind of it. You know, I was just uh, I was going through life and doing my thing, and um, uh, I, that's just what I had planned to keep doing. Um, one day, I had just come back from Scotland, and a buddy of mine wanted to go fly fishing, and uh, we met up here in Breckenridge, and we fished up uh, Mohawk Lakes just below the Continental Divide, and it was this epic, epic day, incredible day of catching trout, um, and my buddy, you know, we're standing in the water, and our waders, and my buddy was complaining the whole day about medicine. He's an ER doc in Vale, or, or he was, and, um, and I was just on cloud nine talking about whiskey, and as I stood in the water, this light went off, and I just thought, man, I wonder, could I just make the kind of whiskey I want up here with this crazy water? And so I looked into it and figured out it was worth a shot. You know, I, um, uh, this was 2007. So there weren't really any craft distilleries out there. There wasn't a proven business model. So I had to dig in and learn what I could. And what I figured was I could probably cash flow it out of Breckenridge with this tiny little distillery, some guys that were, you know, really good at what they did. And so I went a bunch of courses and learn from these guys and and uh, kicked it off you know and i thought i would have a few days off a month and on weekends i could come up and make whiskey with these guys um and just and revel in it you know um and then we just started winning every award out there so you know it, it uh we scaled up and up and up and up and you know now the the company is large um we have 125 employees and um you know a lot of infrastructure here there's been millions of dollars in capex to you know put in gigantic stills over the years and um we're just rolling now man it's uh it's really cool but not not what i had expected it seems like the popularity of it is just 
kind of blown up. I mean, you're in 49 states, 48, 49 states. Yeah, yeah. everywhere but West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is one of the control states where the government runs everything. And they're just kind of a, they're a challenge to get started on. And so I usually just wait till they come and ask me, you know, they get too many requests and they finally say, fine, we'll bring it in. They call us up and we're like, okay, cool, we'll do it. That's awesome. So then you start, you start winning some awards, popularity keeps going up. <clears throat> I mean, I have to imagine Breckenridge is a fairly unique place to be, you know, making whiskey and, and all the other spirits that you guys make there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, so we're a ski town, you know, uh, the resorts owned by Vail Resorts. Um, Breckenridge and Vail Mountain like compete year to year for the most visited ski resort in North America, I think. So um, you know, we're a small town of like, I don't know, 7,000 people, but you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people here on any given day because it's such a popular spot winter and summer. Um, where the most unique thing about this place, um, is the elevation, you know, where the low point here is like 9,600 feet and we're, we have lift serve terrain up to uh, 13,000. So the elevation is crazy, but it's nice because we're just below the continental divide and we get a ton of snow, about 400 inches of snow a year. And, you know, it melts, it comes down, permeates through the mountain and it comes down to this kind of collection area that we call the tarn. And the water in that tarn is just absurd. It is so mineral rich and it's first use water. You know, it's not been uh, drank and then, <laughs> and then processed and, you know, over and over again, it's first use. And so, the water is just absurd. And the, the way it translates to spirits is mouthfeel more than anything. It just, it just has body to it. It feels good in your mouth and the water's just delicious. So it's an unfair advantage and you know, it'd be, everything would taste different if we did it somewhere else. And even if you're just proofing, proofing back your spirit with this water, you know, like vodka is 80 proof. So it means it's 40% alcohol, 60% water. So, you know, even in a bottle of vodka, the majority of what you're drinking is water. So the water is super important. That's nuts. I was, yeah, I was reading about some of that water that you guys are getting up there and just the, the minerals and stuff that are in there making it so good to, you know, make spirits with. What kind of, um, what kind of challenges do you feel are up there? I mean, I have to imagine that. <laughs> what, what, like when we were talking beforehand, I was curious because if you're aging bottles there, you know, I always hear about like in Kentucky or some other climates, where that heat and the cold with the contraction of the barrels and everything lets the spirit get into the wood and out. And without that big fluctuation in Colorado, how does that affect the, the spirits? Yeah, there's lots to talk about there. You know, um, one thing we were talking about the water, the mineral content of the water is so high. Um, the best thing to do, you know, is, is just to have it in its native state and, and proof back whatever you're making, but you can't because all the minerals will, will precipitate out. And so you have to do some gentle treatment on the water and, and get your, what we call the TDS count, total dissolved solids to the right level. So you have to be really careful with that. And it can be tricky because, you know, every now and then a little bit will sneak by you and it'll be a little higher than you thought. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll have to keep an eye on that product because it, while it's perfectly awesome to drink, you know, people don't want to see stuff floating around in their, in their bottles. And a little bit's fine. And you should look for that because that means you're like whiskey's non-chill filtered. Um, so you should see a little bit of stuff in your bottle. 
um, but no one wants to see a layer of something on the bottom. Um, the, the other things are, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is so different up here. And we first started, when I learned how to distill, we worked on our mash bills and everything out in California. So we were down in sea level Petaluma area. And then when we got up here and got everything fired up, everything was so different because of elevation. You know, there's less atmospheric pressure up here. So uh, water boils at a different temperature as everybody knows up here, but so do alcohols. And distillation, you know, is the process by where you take a liquid and you um, separate it in gas form by its temperature, and then you cool it back down to make it liquid again, you know. And so um, we all are, controls were wrong, we had to figure them out, you know, so the temperature goes way down up here, which is nice. Um, you use less condenser water because the water up here is so cold. Um, and, you know, we had to figure all those things out. Um, as far as barrel storage, you know, that's a big deal because in the South or Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, you know, they have indoor and they have outdoor uh, ricks and barrel houses. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, are not temperature controlled. And they have, you know, decent humidity down there. So it's kind of a natural, it's a natural fit. Up here, it's a challenge because, you know, it's frequently gets below zero here in the winter at night. And, you know, winter seems like it lasts nine months of the year to me and my wife. Um, and it's dry. Oh, my God, it's so dry up here. So we do all of our aging indoors. So we have um, indoor facilities that are both temperature and humidity controlled. Um, and the, you know, different locations concentrate different flavors, which is kind of cool, but those, you know, those are the biggest challenges other than snow and just logistics, you know, getting stuff in and out is a nightmare because I-70 will get three foot of snow and it'll be closed for days and, you know, sometimes trucks don't make it in or out. Yeah. I have to imagine, uh, you could run into some, some distribution problems trying to get it out from that, that altitude up there. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. So we warehouse as much as we can in Denver you know, okay. house there as well. And, uh, that, you know, you can get a few days ahead and when, uh, when the snow's coming in or bad weather, you can usually get ahead of it. We're getting better. <laughs> yeah, I bet <laughs> that's got to take some getting used to. Now you said, uh, you said that you're a, you're a Scotch fan. I'm a, I like Irish whiskey. Oh. I'm a, I've, I've stuck to Irish whiskey and bourbons. So there I just go. haven't gotten much into the scotches yet. Yep. Um, not quite there, but is there, I know you'd mentioned in some, some interviews about like getting into some more single malts or malted ideas that you guys are kind of pushing forward. Um, you know, tell me about that a little bit. Is that something you guys are trying to look forward to in the future? Yeah, for sure. Um, so really the first stuff we started making was, uh, was malt whiskey. So scotch is malt whiskey, which means it's made from malted barley. Um, bourbon is made mostly from corn. So uh, it has to be at least 50% corn. So they're, you know, they're different styles of whiskey for sure. Um, so we started making malt whiskey, but I wanted to push a different take on it. I wanted to do an American style scotch that was really focused on treatment of the malt. Um, in Scotland, you know, it's pretty simple. It's either really peated malt or it's not. And so the non-peated malts tend to be a whole lot of subtle flavors, which I, which I love. And the peated malts, like the Isla style, tend to be very medicinal and iodine forward. Um, what they don't do is they don't treat the malt like American brewers treat malt. And, and I thought about it like, um, so I'm 50. So, you know, when I was younger, the beers, they were all like pilsners and lagers. And that was kind of it, you know. 
And now American beers are so different. The malt library that you pick from and all the hops, you know, make these incredible beers. And so we, we went after a take on it like that to where we started caramelizing the barley to get different flavors and concentrate them. So this malt whiskey that we first started making called the Dark Arts um, is it's like a Ferrari monster truck of whiskeys. You know, it's this enormous whiskey. It's 275 bucks a bottle. It's in a you know really slick, sexy package, decanter style, and it's intense. It's huge, like chocolate and orange peel, and um, man, just really lovely, lovely uh, malt whiskey flavors. Um, the problem with that product is it's really not ready to release till it's about eight years old, you know. And when it's ten years old is when it's hitting the sweet spot. So that's why it's kind of scarce and expensive, but We've been saving back inventory to, you know, to launch a halo of products off of that, which we're just getting ready to put out. And there's one called Two Clans, which I absolutely love. It's probably my favorite thing we've ever made. So it took me 10 years to source scotch from Scotland to bring over and blend with the dark arts. So this took quite a while to figure out, you know, about <laughs> really about a decade. Um, and now we're getting ready to release it um, this summer or maybe late spring. It's, it's exquisite and, you know, the price point on it could be through the roof if we wanted it to be, but um, I want this to be accessible. So it's going to sit on the shelf around 60 bucks, which is a screaming deal because, you know, I can sell yeah. for no problem, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it um, just because I love the whiskey and uh, I want it to be accessible for everybody. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. That sounded, uh, that sounds really interesting. I kind of, the idea of getting something multi like that, that, that really kicks that that sounds really fun is that now is that something that like do you have all the or a lot of the creative control or is that something that you leave to your master distiller um i have to imagine that there's going to be a lot of you know walking by and sampling of things uh throughout the course of the day yeah um, man there's that, a lot of sampling <laughs> a lot of sampling goes on um when we do a blend to bottle you know we we do them at 20 barrel increments so we do small batch blends and um we actually taste every single barrel before it's blended. So um, we know exactly what we're getting before we start the blend and how we want the blend to taste. And yeah, you know, the, the direction of the way the product tastes is definitely from me. Um, but I do, my team is just incredible. You know, these guys are absolutely amazing. They're well-trained. They have, um, you know, incredible knowledge of spirits and whiskeys in particular they have great palates um and they know what i want you know so um i don't have to make the blends these guys you know are incredible at what they do um but you know every i don't know every month or two we'll taste through the blends and do little tweaks and you know plan for the future which you have to do because you have to sort of anticipate what you're going to sell five years down the road you know or or longer um, the youngest whiskey that we put in our blend is usually four years old or slightly older. And the blend right now has a lot of, you know, 10 or 11 year old whiskey in it as well. So, um, you know, the whiskeys aren't super young and you got to plan ahead. That's hard to do. You know, then you get COVID and that changes everything. So it's, it's, uh, it's crazy challenging. Is that, so when you go through that blending process, is that where, you know, like you said, you got some 10, 11, 12 year whiskey that's in there, blending it with younger whiskeys. Are you trying to, or does, does the younger whiskeys help, 
you know, offset a flavor profile or complement a flavor profile? Yeah. Um, is that like you were talking about with the water, you know, not going overboard, adding water right away so that you can't, you know, take the water out of it? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we, I mean, I think our whiskey blend is best with both. So it needs the younger, um, the younger whiskeys in there. What, what you get on the younger whiskeys is the rye spice. So we do a high rye bourbon, you know, our mash bill is 38% rye. And I, as a scotch drinker, I want a whiskey, you know, a bourbon that's more interesting. You know, it's, you can make a really simple corn whiskey that's sweet and approachable and really easy to drink. Um, but I want more out of a whiskey. You know, I want more, a lot more flavor, more, more of the rye spice. And so the younger barrels really help bring that, bring that spiciness on, which for me is super important because you get that on the finish, man. You get a nice long white pepper kind of finish. And for me, that makes a incredible bourbon. So when you, when you go to like age barrels, do you, do you age the barrel with the intent of like, this is going to be a, you know, eight, 10, whatever year barrel um, versus, you know, is it something that you check along the way and then you say, okay, this is ready to roll or, you know, do you go in there with the intent and not check it for, you know, a specific amount of time? Yeah, it's, it's all a combination of all of the above. So we make so many products, you know, we, we make about 50 products. And the majority of what we sell, about 70% of what we sell is whiskey. So a lot of it's bourbon whiskey and then and malt whiskey. Um, and, you know, we have a clear idea of, you know, products that we want to continue making through the next decade or so. Um, and so, you, I mean, you've got to know everything, <laughs> everything you're doing before you do it. You know what I mean? And the, the majority of, of what we're laying down, we know, uh, you know, is bourbon. And we know we're going to release some of it at you know four or four and a half years and some of it at you know we'll blend in at eight and a half to ten years and some of it is even older and we hold those back for special releases which are super fun as well yeah i haven't uh i haven't dove into a lot of uh, a lot of other spirits but scrolling through the website the espresso vodka was definitely screaming at me <laughs> i was like that, that looks yeah. so interesting <laughs> yeah it is uh, well that's a good story too you know because i i set this up to make whiskey and that that's really all i wanted all i wanted to do and um you know then uh, we realized with the water being so good that um, we needed to start messing around with vodka to see what the water did to the vodka and oh my god it was so freaking good like, okay, we're making vodka, <laughs> you know? And then from there, so then we, uh, we kind of opened up shop and we were mainly just selling bottles out of the door to people that, you know, figured out where we were at. And um, we, we sort of had these, like, we were living these focus groups where we were just interacting with every consumer that, you know, bought a bottle. Cause at first we weren't even in liquor stores or anything, you know? And um, so I just started talking to people and getting to know their palates and what they wanted. And um, it became clear, you know, that they wanted lots of things. And so we started making them. Um, and espresso vodka is interesting because um, a lot of people don't know this, but I think the majority or there's a disproportionate amount of espresso vodka that is drunk in the mountain towns. Like the ski towns are, those are like the, the creme of the creme market share for these companies. And there were just so many people that, that wanted that and so you know we did it right and it is delicious and decaffeinated too so oh. local roasters and 
you know, do a Swiss water decaffeination and then um, make this the vodka. And it's, um, man, it's, it's like a nice dessert or a martini. <laughs> no, that, look, that looked awesome. Man, I love it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, about some of your whiskey. So I'm, the one I'm trying right now is the, uh, the bourbon. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about this one here? Yeah, absolutely. So we sell a lot of this product. It's, it's, uh, probably, it's probably our highest demand product, right? Um, so what we do is, uh, we have a mash bill. It's 54% yellow corn then 38% rye and the rest is barley. The barley in there is just really more for the enzymes. And, uh, so it helps you not end up with a giant polenta cake in your, in your uh, mash tun. So we mash in, we do a 10,000 gallon mashes. Um, they're done in three stages of temperature. Uh, first, you know, hottest temperature is corn, then you cool it and add some rye, and then you cool it, and then you put the barley. And all of our grains uh, come from Colorado farmers. We contract directly with them, so it cuts out the middleman. Um, we do the mash, and then we cool it down to just about room temperature and we pump it over to fermentation tanks. Those tanks are 10,000 gallons also, and they're dimpled and jacketed, which means you control the temperature. So uh, with a what's called a glycol chiller, that glycol goes in that jacketed space. You know, it's isolated from the spirit, of course, but um, uh, you control the temperature and you drive what the yeast are doing, so you get different flavors. And then, um, after the fermentation, then we distill our bourbons distilled on, it's about 40, just a little over 40 foot tall still. It's this massive still. Uh, we can make about 23 barrels of bourbon a day on that thing. And um, that, that's what that room mostly does. And then we have another distillation room where we make uh, the rum, the malt whiskey, and uh, we make those on, a, on our original pot still. It's a 500 gallon pot still. That one will do one barrel a day at most. So, you know, much smaller production volumes. And then we have a, uh, an Alembic still, which um, does the botanicals. So we make uh, our gin and stuff on that still. And uh, the, we do a American style gin, which is um, really, you know, super delicious. It's less piney and a little more, more citrus and floral. Um, and so anyway, we do that on there. But so this whiskey then, um, we, you can get like that whiskey aged up, you know, for several years. And that is our single barrel product. Um, this one that we're trying here today is our blended product. So, um, you know, it's mostly Breckenridge, but um, it's nice because we blend in some other whiskeys. And it just, it, I love that part of it because it, it just gives you more colors to paint with, you know, like I said earlier. So um, we get aged whiskeys that we love from Kentucky, Tennessee, and Indiana. And, um, you know, over the years, I've just really loved doing that. The issue with that is, um, you know, it traditionally hasn't been a problem because you, you know, you try all these whiskeys and you pick the ones you want, you bring them in and you blend them. Um, that used to be a lot easier. Um, nowadays with the popularity of bourbon, um, there's just less and less of these great whiskeys out there to get and they become, you know, really expensive. So um, I would like to keep blending whiskey, but we're, you know, we've been shying away from it over the years. Um, and the whiskey we make here is, just better anyway. So, um, you know, so the, the blend has just continued to get better um, as the outside whiskeys have been harder to get, to get the good ones. But man, back, you know, 10 years ago, my God, you could get these aged, you know, 10 year old barrels of whiskeys that were so amazing. And 
I just love blending them. These days it's harder. I, I it's funny because like when I I just recently got into rye more, and yeah. I love the rye in this. I think it's Man, awesome. I love rye whiskey, and that's why we do that. That's why we did the high rye. Do you do you have? I saw that you have a you have a high proof, right? We do, yeah. So um, the flagship bourbon's at eighty six proof, and we do a one hundred five proof, um, which sounds like it's going to be like scorching hot, you know. But it is not, man. I'm here to tell you that is the absolute sweet spot, in my opinion, uh, for this bourbon. You know, most we have to appeal to a broad range of consumers. You know, so you don't want your your um, you know, your flagship product to be intimidating, right? So 86 is the perfect spot for that. Um, but if you're, if, if you really love whiskey, you've got to try the, the 105. Um, it is actually smoother than the 86. It makes no sense how that works out, but um, I guess it's because the mouthfeel, just the extra viscosity of the mouthfeel at the higher proof, um, man it just it concentrates you know baker's chocolate and you know different types of orange and spice um and the rye man the rye just really comes up on that one it's it's my that's my favorite proof and that's the same mash bill with that high rye exactly the same mash bill it's weird because i think i don't know if it's like a new the fad right now that seems to be kicking but like these super high like proof monsters that are coming out at you know, 130, 140 proof. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I'm showing off at that point. I, I've definitely seen a lot of the cast cast strength. You know, those are frequently, you know, 120 to 125-ish. Um, and that's, you know, when we're drinking or tasting through our inventory, inventory um, we, you know, we just drink it straight out of the barrel. So it's high proof. And, you know, it, it changes when you proof it back. but um, that's, you know, that's what we're used to. But the man, the 105 is just, man, it's a sweet spot. And it's funny because you go up to 86, you start going up, you know, you hit 92 and it starts, it starts getting a little hot. You're like, huh, you know, maybe, I don't know. And then you kick it up a little more and you're like, hmm, well, that was interesting. That changed a little bit. And, and, um, you know, as, as you keep going, you think it's going to get hotter, but it, it actually doesn't. It gets, uh, it, it just gets bigger. Yeah, I, I like that that 105 kind of area for for a lot of things that I like to drink. I oh think that's, yeah, that's a yeah, good me spot. too. Yeah, some of them, you know, I, I feel like you get significantly hotter than that or, or higher proof than that, and it's just you're just dealing with heat, and yeah. I think you Alcohol lose some flavor. Burns. Yeah, yeah, unless you proof it down, it just doesn't really. None of those flavors really come out. So I think that 105 would be would be a pretty nice spot to be in. Yeah. Now what yep. about what about this port cask finish? So this was the other one I got. Um, uh, yeah, I noticed. Is... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, it's, it's a crowd favorite for sure. So we do a lot of different barrel finishes, but that that was the you know traditionally the most popular one. So what we do is you know make a, this perfectly good whiskey that's ready to drink, and then we put it in port casks. So um, these port casks come from Porto, uh, Portugal. We uh, you, there's different styles of port, but tawny port is the one that marries best with our whiskey. So uh, we fill these casks and let them age for several months. And there's, you know, it's an incredible marriage that happens in there. So you'll notice um, that one's a little darker in color. It's not darker because it's older. It's darker because it's picked up some color from the port cask itself. So it's pulled that out. 
Um, and then it is just, uh, it's just got an extra gear <laughs> on it, you know, so you'll get these Sultana raisins and uh, just port notes, you know, port's a fortified wine, which is sweeter. Um, the sweetness doesn't necessarily come through, but, uh, but some of it does. And it just makes an even more interesting whiskey. And I've never met anybody that didn't love that whiskey. That's how good it is. Yeah, that's that's really nice. It definitely gets a little of that raisin in there for sure. And I think yeah. some of the ones, you know, the port the port finished uh, bottles that are out there right now, I think they get a bit sweet at the end. I don't feel like I get that full sweetness out of this one as I've, I've as other ones that I've tried out. Yeah, and again, I think it's the rye. So you still you still get that nice long, long complex finish. So you still get the spice, and that's balanced out by the sweet. Um, but the sweetness is really subtle on this one, you know. And we don't. I mean, you can cheat a little bit and have a what they call a really wet barrel, you know, with a little bit of port sitting in the bottom of it. And I think if you do that, you'll get a different whiskey, and it'll be sweeter. You know, we we definitely don't do that. Um, our barrels are sealed up and you know there's still decent humidity in them but there's not liquid in them and so that's just i mean i would cheat if it if i had to you know but <laughs> it makes it better uh the way we do it and we you know we tried everything so this is this is the sweet spot yeah that's this is this is really nice and then so you've got the rum cask and then uh yeah Dara. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a bunch of different uh, barrel barrel finishes. So uh, port cask is probably a lot of people's favorite, at least traditionally. Um, we have a what we call PX cask. PX is short for Pedro Jimenez. And that is a particular varietal of grape that uh, is, uh, you know, used in the Andalusia region of Spain. And that's what they make sherry out of. Particular, this, uh, at least this style of sherry is more towards the sweeter style of sherry. And on that one, um, we get these barrels from the Sherry Bodegas, and those barrels are 100 to 200 years old. And uh, so similar process, we finished it in there, and it's kind of a cousin to the port cask, but it's drier and it has more like walnut and more of the drier sherry notes uh, for all you sherry lovers out there. Um, we have, uh, I don't have any right now, but a Sauterne cask. Uh, we've worked with Chateau Ikem. Um, out of the Bordeaux region of France, um, and then some amazing uh, barrel finishes there. We currently have a Madeira cask finish out, which is um, super awesome and a great history. If you ever can look up the history of Madeira, it's like one of the most colorful uh, wine histories ever. This uh, this grape and wine survived Napoleonic blockades uh, back in the day in uh, Europe and. Um, was was one of the favorites of uh, of uh, the uh, founders of America, which is kind of cool. So it was like drank at George Washington's inauguration and signing of the Declaration of Independence. So anyway, Madeira is like super colorful history. So that's pretty cool. And we do a double barrel, which uh, we take this perfectly good whiskey that's ready to drink and we put it back in a new barrel, which was terrifying to me. And then it has to age years until it's ready, but. You concentrate uh, mature oak, which is just, people love that one. But the rum cask is um, the newest release. And this one's a little scary because it's actually so good that um, I've been afraid that no one's going to want to drink any other whiskey again in their life after they try it. But um, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing whiskey. It took a very long time 
to perfect. Uh, the rum casks are our own. So we make the rum here, grain of glass in Colorado, and then, um, and then we marry the, uh, the whiskey in with the cask. Um, and man, it is just, uh, it's almost too good to be true. <laughs> um, we've, we've had some, uh, tough critics out there in the past, you know, and, um, they, um, we're not afraid, you know, but, um, they're all just like going crazy over this, even like the hardest guys to please, you know, the guys that just always have something to say. It's <laughs> gotta be negative. They have been unable to, uh, to, to criticize this one. And um, this has been picked, uh, you know, it just came out a little bit ago and it's a couple of people's bourbon of the year. So it's, um, wow. it's that good. I'd recommend trying it. And if you can't get it, hang in there. Cause you know, it's allocated, but we're, we're, we're ramping it up. How, when you, when you put these in these secondary casks, how long do they typically age? Or does that, does that change with the age of the barrel or I'm sorry, with the age of the bourbon that's going into that? Or is it, is it? Yeah, it's, it's more about the, what was in the barrel before. So they, they're all different. Um, usually it's, you know, in the, around the eight month range, some things are shorter, some things are a lot longer. You know, the, the Sauterne, the, Ch- the Chateau de Kims took a full two years. So they were ready. The, the double barrel that we do, you know, takes at least two years, if not longer. Um, yeah, but most of them are under a year. Does that double barrel or the, the double oak, does that, does that give that super oakiness? I mean, after you're taking it ready to drink bourbon and putting it with the new oak? Yeah, it does. It, it definitely, it definitely amps up the oak and it amps up the rye spice too. So it's a really spicy, oaky whiskey. Um, but granted, if as long as it gets to that two-year mark, the oak you don't taste the young angular oak. It's mature oak, which is you know which is a, a coveted uh, flavor profile. Um, if you rushed it, it would ruin it, you know, because the angular oak would just take over, and there's no coming back from that. Once you have that, um, you, it's that's all you taste. But um, after a few years, that bends gone. It's softened, and now you just taste the mature oak. Um, I, you know, for me personally, the, the, the double barrel, uh, seems a little bit out of harmony. Um, and I have, I'm a super sniffer, super taster. So for me, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there and it's, it's slightly out of balance, but to our consumers, it's like one of their favorites people. They, I mean, I can't keep that one in stock. People love it. It's crazy. It's it's fun. So, so is it safe to say that's not your your favorite? No, coming out. It's of not that? not my personal favorite, but a lot of like our you know hardcore whiskey fans, it's like one of their favorites, wow. which is interesting because you know <laughs> I don't know. You yeah. Can, now is there any now on the palace, But every now yeah, and then you get a curveball, right? <laughs> or change <Yeah. laughs> to, each, to each their own, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Would there is there ever a time you would see yourself going not not away from the bourbon with the corn content, but going to like a straight rye? Um, well, I love rye whiskey, um, but we only have so much capacity, you know. And the the bourbon's just so popular with the high rye mash bill that that's that's what everybody wants. Um, we do make rye whiskey; um, it is exquisite. I haven't released any of it to the general public yet. Mostly I've been drinking it, um, but we will, we will start releasing some small quantities here at the distillery. 
That sounds awesome. Could you, uh, could you talk a little bit about the distillery? And I've got some, some friends of mine out in Colorado who would probably be, uh, be open to going and checking it out. Um, yeah, tell, tell me a little bit about because I know you guys got a restaurant there and everything. It sounds like there's a, there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah there's a lot going on. Um, so we're, we're in Breckenridge, kind of over towards the uh, north edge of town. Uh, the facility's grown over the years. It, we started out with um, like 3,000 square foot and now we're more like 12 here. Um, so lots of production rooms. We do all the bottling here, but we have, um, we have a retail shop where you enter in through the retail shop and um, you can pretty much get everything we have um, at that shop. So things that aren't available in distribution or outside of Breckenridge. So all the flagships are here, plus the one-offs, which are some of our favorites. Um, you can do a tasting here. You can do a, you can taste like a couple items for free, or you can pay a few bucks and taste through more. Um, then we have, you know, some really high end products like single barrel and the dark arts malt whiskey, which is like a single malt. And you can spend a little bit more and try those. Um, and then we have a restaurant and bar here. Um, the, uh, we traditionally do um, what I call the tattooed version of fine dining. So it's, uh, you know, it's uh, American cuisine, you know, elevated for sure. Um, our menu is, is written by uh, world-renowned chef David Burke. Um, he is, uh, you know, two-time James Beard guy. He's sort of like the godfather to the American culinary movement. And we're friends, and so that's why we work together. Um, and so, you know, the food's incredible. Lots of spirits in the food. And then, the, the um, you know, the bar is just all cocktails. It's all 100% cocktails. Um, our liquid chef, as we call her, is Billy Keithley. Um, she actually just won bar manager of the year uh, from Whiskey Magazine in uh, this really difficult competition called Icons of Whiskey. So that's a super coveted, um, you know, accolade. And um, she got it for her work here. She only works here. So, um, you know, the cocktails are insane. Um, the food's incredible. Pairings are great. And we're getting ready to kick off a new visitor experience here. As soon as COVID is over, uh, we're actually bringing on a new tasting room here inside the facility, um, a little over a thousand square feet. And it's a little more of a seminar-like. You can sit down and do a more in-depth tasting, you know, that's guided. Um, you can pair that with bites. So you can, you know, try five different products with five bites from our kitchen. Um, we have uh, chocolate and spirits flights. You can get in there, vodka caviar pairings, which are exquisite. Um, and then uh, a blending lab as well. So you can book a spot to blend whiskey. You can either blend bourbon whiskey or you can blend a malt whiskey, more of the scotch style. It's all our stuff. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's led by a guide who, you know, talks about um, the history and why and how everything, everything works. You do your own blend and you get to bottle it, take it home with you at the end. Oh, so that's awesome. Off here, as soon as COVID, uh, <laughs> you know, backs off a little bit, we'll yeah. open back up. Are you guys, are you, how open are you guys right now? Uh, so now we can do tastings. We cannot do tours. And the restaurant and, and bar are at 25%. Oh. So I mean, the restaurant's like booked out through April. Oh, know? wow. I mean, it usually is booked out anyway because it's so good. But, um, it, I mean, it is absolutely, completely <laughs> booked out months, months in advance right now. That's awesome. Get a reservation now. You can just get it on our website, BreckenridgeDistillery.com. Oh, okay. Beautiful. 
All right. Now last question for you. And I heard, I heard you talk about this somewhere else. So I got to, got to hear it again, but what was, what's your, what's your go-to whiskey to pair with a cigar and what's yes. your cigar you're putting with that whiskey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, by far the best uh, whiskey pairing we have with a cigar is the PX. So the PX cast finish. So it's a Breckenridge bourbon whiskey PX finish. Um, so that is the one that's been aged in uh, those sherry barrels. Um, it's crazy how well that pairs, but it's so popular that, you know, the cigar makers, um, it's their favorite pairing too. So we're on pretty good terms, you know, with, with all those guys. Um, my go-to cigars anymore these days, um, I, I usually smoke uh, Drew Estate cigars. Um, they're exceptionally good cigars, but Jonathan Drew is a good friend of mine too. So that dude has given me, like I have a humidor with like 2000 cigars in it. I, my entire life, I will never be able to smoke all, <laughs> all those cigars. And he, he has a big range, um, but my personal favorite from him is um, called the KFC, Kentucky Fire Cure. So it's, they, some of that tobacco is aged and um, they're... Um, they smell kind of barnyardy, you know, which I love in a cigar. And um, they're medium bodied and uh, man, they're, they're magic. Um, if I'm not doing one of his, though, I'll go Cohiba, you know, um, typically. But I, I do love cigars. It's just that I know too many people that make them. So it's, uh, to, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, you, can, you can get down a rabbit hole on those things for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Brian, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I'm looking forward to trying out some more of these bottles because these two, these two have been really awesome so far. I really enjoyed them. All right. Well, thanks, Tony. It's a pleasure to be on with you, man. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks again. All right. Cheers.